It's The Adventures of Indiana Jim, episode 61, for October 17th, 2020. Coming to you not exactly live from... The Cliffs of Insanity! Where life is an adventure. And if adventure has a podcast, it must be Indiana Jim. Don't tell me you've never heard of me. Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Yes. Morons. I have entertained in all the courts of Europe and speak a ready wit in their every tongue. I told you I was famous. And now, that intrepid arch geekologist, Indiana Jim. You have chosen wisely. Hello, it is I, Indiana Jim, and that is the theme song that I have been wanting to use since I first ever created a podcast intro. Welcome to the show. If you'd like to get in touch with me and tell me what that is from, which I guarantee you somebody already knows what it is, you can at me at Indiana Jim on Twitter. You can email me at podcast at adventuresofindianajim.net. Speaking of Twitter, why am I even on Twitter? Now, I've asked this question of myself before, and not always entirely sure that that I've answered it <laughs> uh, well enough to my own satisfaction. And the, the whole reason I got on Twitter was, first of all, it was a brand new thing when I got on it in 2007. It was 13 years that I've been on Twitter. And the medium of podcasting was in its infancy in 2007. It really started, actually started 2005. So I was maybe a couple years late to the party. But I had been listening to podcasts for a while. And now I didn't listen to everything at the beginning. I wasn't there right at the beginning. Because um, at the time, I wasn't, you know, super on the internet. You know, I wasn't in the know. I didn't have my finger on the pulse, as it were. But I first discovered podcasting through the Dragon Page and Slice of Sci-Fi. Well, the Dragon Page first, because it was Michael and Evo. And I would listen to the, you know, I would download the MP3 of them interviewing an author from their terrestrial radio show that they did in Phoenix. And it was through them that I discovered this thing called a podcast, and then the whole world of it opened up to me. And so when I first got on Twitter, it was because that's kind of how everybody was talking to each other. And it was when... I'm trying to remember if I got on... No, I've been on since 2007. I didn't go to Balticon until 2008. So I just started following the personalities in podcasting that I had heard of. And, you know, this goes back to uh, T. Morris and Michael and Evo. And um, I can, you know, Heather Welliver. I remember following her. Uh, Mer Lafferty early on. Um and all the people that were in the podcast fiction space, like Christiana Ellis and Chris Lester and just and Nathan Lowell and, and P.G. Holyfield, um, God rest his soul. Um, 
those were the people that, that started following early on. And when I went to Balticon 2008, it was kind of like, oh, I am now sort of IRL associates with these people, you know, in real life. Uh, I've met them. And it was kind of like, hey, we're all going to, you know, this panel's happening or we're going to go eat at this place. Or we, it was actually kind of a, a almost a, like a text message thing, uh, more, but more of a broadcast. And it took me back to when the internet was in its infancy in 1996 when I went to college. And it took me back to the old chat rooms. You know, in the place where you would have a real-time conversation with other people somewhere else. Which at the time, I mean, now you take it for granted, but at the time, this was mind-blowing. That, oh my gosh, there's this person on the other side of the world and I am speaking to them. Uh, up till then, the only thing that was close was ham radio. Now, my dad was a, a big ham, but, not, you know, I never really wanted to get into it. But the internet, now that was, that was something interesting. That was the reason why I got onto Twitter. And it was real time. And the accounts you followed showed up in your feed when they tweeted in chronological order. I know. I know. I'm blowing your mind right now. There, there were no algorithms. It was the complete democratization of communication. Now, I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to get partisan. But I am going to kind of touch on how Twitter is being used now and why I am loath uh, to stay on it, but I am loath to give it up as well. Now that there are algorithms governing who and what you see, whoever is in charge can dictate via computer algorithm what it is that you see. You can see this probably, I, I haven't watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix. It's a documentary on Netflix. Uh, I haven't watched that yet, but I have been kind of studying this thing a little bit and, and being aware of how the tech companies are using social media. And this is kind of a kind of law of natural, uh, law of unintended consequences, where you want people to stay on your platform more, you know, longer for longer periods of time so that you can sell them more ads, which is to me, you know, that's, that's why you're there. You're trying to make money. You're, you're running a business here and there's no problem with, with advertisements. Um, you know, you, you take what you get. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, watch TV, you're going to get commercials. That's, that's kind of how it goes. And if you don't like ads, well, there's other, you know, there's alternatives for you, but anyway, that's kind of the point. They want you on their platform more because their platform is used more and that boosts their usefulness or perceived usefulness. And, you know, when I got on Twitter, it was before the brands got on there. It was before the big media companies got on there. And, and Twitter really has changed a lot since it started. Same with Facebook. That idea of the, just the, the natural organic growth no longer exists that natural organic i don't know experience i guess is what i want to say you don't you don't you know you follow 100 people you see those people's tweets as they tweet them in the order that they tweet them if you want to go back and look you can go back and look but in order to keep people on your platform 
you have to drive engagement. Um, replies and retweets, these are the things that keep the conversation going, that keep the people on the platform. Oh, same in Facebook, shares and shares and comments. These are the things that keep people on the platform. However, here's where the law of unintended consequences comes in. The thing that tends to get the most engagement is controversy and anger. The stuff that makes you mad, that makes you feel like I have to say something to argue with this person, um, it's essentially Twitter and Facebook have incentivized the flame war. Now, when you were on message boards, flame wars were aggressively... They, they were aggressively avoided. They were aggressively moderated. It was, okay, children, this is descending into a flame war. I'm locking the thread. That was the thing. On Twitter and, and Facebook. Now, Facebook, on pages, you can close comments. But on personal pages, you can't. You can only delete your post. Or you can, you know, you can block users. But the idea that as a community... You can say, okay, this has turned into a flame war. We're done. You know, and it used to be on the on message boards, you know, you don't talk politics here because it turns into a flame war and we shut it down. Well, on Twitter and on Facebook, that's almost all it is anymore. And as much as I have strong beliefs around my, my political beliefs, I don't like getting drawn into those flame wars. But it seems like a lot of people just love getting to flame wars and, and this whole idea of, of cancel culture. It's like, here's this person who said this offensive thing. Let's all go and tell them how offensive it is and drive them off um, Twitter. And on the other side, you know, here's this person who said this uh, liberal SJW insert whatever, you know, on the other side. And let's all drive them off Twitter, you know. That's unpalatable to me, and it's happening a lot. You know, I get people that have their pet issue or whatever, and, and that's all they do is, is they retweet and say, look at this and look how bad this is or, or whatever. You know, look how wonderful this is. It doesn't, you know, it's not always negative, but mostly it's negative. And that's, that's just kind of where we are right now. I'm kind of actually... This realization that it's the flame war, that that's, what's, that's what we've become, that, that, it's, that social media has just become a giant flame war. You know, it's, not, it's not about discussion. And, and one of the things is that the early adopters of any technical platform tend to be you're more intelligent, you're more astute, you're more well-researched and well-read person. However, we all have certain political biases. Uh, there's very few people that actually look at both sides objectively um, and, and, you know, talk about issues from that standpoint. There's people, you know, who have a certain opinion of the president, and it's a negative opinion. And everything they see, everything they read is colored by, I, I already have this frame of reference about the man that's negative, Therefore, everything I read will be interpreted through the lens of negativity, of negative perception. Uh, and everything that seems to be in favor of this man who I have convinced myself 
is, you know, a lunatic, let's use a word that I heard Dave Weiner use, then when you read something that runs counter to that opinion, you immediately dismiss as wrong. And on the other side, there are people that have this incredibly positive opinion of the president. And everything they read and see will be interpreted through the lens of positive opinion of the president. And anything that runs counter to that will immediately be dismissed as false because it doesn't, you know, it's confirmation bias. We all tend to look for confirmation bias. And we tend not to want to have our opinions and our thoughts and our beliefs challenge. Thomas Jefferson had a great quote when he said, and I believe it was Thomas Jefferson who said, question with boldness, even the very existence of God, or if there be a God, he must surely rather honest questioning than blindfolded fear. How many people are doing honest questioning? How many people will read sources that don't always confirm their bias? Uh, used to be that was the American way, was trying to seek impartiality, trying to be balanced, trying to consider both sides of an issue. The early adopters of Twitter and social media tended to be more intelligent, more well-reasoned individuals and would not get into flame wars. Well, now we have uh, pretty much anybody with a pulse seems to be on Twitter, and even people without a pulse, bots, <laughs> uh, are on Twitter. And that changes things. Because you have a lot more reactionary people who see something and immediately respond and immediately go off about it uh, and fail to check their own biases at the door. And again, like I said, it's, it's both sides of the, say, the right and the left. But, you know, all, both sides of any issue. We have just been conditioned to react and respond to things that get our ire up, that, that frustrate us or anger us or upset us. And again, it's, it's the law of unintended consequences. If people were more drawn to positivity, we would see uh, positivity incentivized. But it's kind of like the old media adage, if it bleeds, it leads. You know, bad news goes first. It's just the way it... W Watch the local news. You know, you turn on the news for a story. Three people died tonight as yada, yada, yada. And it has an effect on us. And now that we're in an election year, and we saw this with the New York Post, we saw that Facebook and Twitter decided arbitrarily to quash the New York Post piece on Hunter Biden. And regardless of your politics, whether you think it's true or not, I, you know, if you don't think it's true, you probably didn't read it. Um, if you did think it's true, I don't know if you read it, because you might just be like, yeah, down with Biden, you know, I, I don't know. What business 
does social media have throttling news stories? This is the New York Post. It's not like this is Drudge Report or, or Breitbart or, or or Alex Jones. You know, it's not like this fringe right wing media site. You know, what whatever your opinion, if you are if you tend to be pro Biden, anti Trump, you tend to go, Oh yeah, we should quash that because it's probably false when you you don't know. And I'm rather sickened by the idea that these corporations think that they can tell the American people or people in, in the rest of the globe, you don't get to read that. You don't get to see that. Wasn't this a problem back when the Bible was only printed in Latin? And if you didn't understand it, well, you didn't get to read it because you weren't one of the privileged few who got to read the educated elite that got to read it? Wasn't that why Tyndale was burned at the stake for printing it in the common man's tongue? It's the same situation. And whether or not you even agree about certain things, well, this shouldn't be read by people because it's probably wrong, even though you don't know. Even if, even if it's, here's proof why the earth is flat. It's up to people to decide whether it's true or not, to decide whether they believe it or not. It's not up to the tech companies to tell us, you don't get to read that. You don't get to see that. And when you're using your algorithm to sort of, hey, let's just kind of not distribute this thing. Let's just make sure the program keeps it, you know, from going out to people. That's wrong. It's wrong. And again, not about politics. It's about speech. It's about communication. It's about freedom of communication. How does this affect me being on Twitter? Well, you know, maybe not directly. But, you know, let's say I have an opinion and I'm talking about it on Twitter and it's not going to people because Twitter has just decided word, tweets with these words will not be put in people's feeds. So again, Used to be, you would tweet something, it would go out to people. People would like it or dislike it. And people would tell you. And you'd know, just like if you're in a room and you say something out loud that's socially unacceptable and people get on, you learn, okay, probably don't say that. <laughs> but if no one sees your controversial tweet and no one calls you out on your ridiculous notions, you never learn not to say them anymore. You don't get that cultural editing, that social editing, I guess, uh, is how I would put it. You know, you, you don't learn what's acceptable and unacceptable to say. And then, you know, go on the other side. It's like, who gets to decide what's acceptable, uh, acceptable and unacceptable to say? Who gets to decide that? I know the Constitution says Congress shall make no law infringing it, um, yet we have people infringing upon our speech all the time. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. That's why you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Um, but the idea is that the government cannot come down on you for speaking out against the government. Now, I, I tend to be on, on the side also of, okay, it's their platform. They get to decide what's on it and what's not on it. You know, the only issue with that is there's so many people on it now. It's almost like a public utility, right? And people in Congress keep trying to utilitize the internet. And if it becomes a public utility, and then the government can get involved, and that's when it's going to get ruined. 
But anyway, it used to be a democratic platform. And now it's not. Now it's con- it's a controlled platform. I also, you know, I used to get a lot more interaction on Twitter when when the when our feeds weren't so diluted. And now and that's another thing. It's like people follow so many people that your tweets get just get lost in the ether and people who used to talk to you all the time don't anymore because they're being fed the things that they interact with more. So here's what I got to thinking. Again, asking, why am I even on here? I have uh, 562 followers or something. There's about a dozen people who interact with me on a regular basis, whose tweets I see a lot more of, who respond to me. Some of these are in real life people. The it, It's not helped me boost my platform. You know, when you look at it from a marketing standpoint, has it really made a difference as far as marketing or or getting my name out there? No. At first, it was nice to have when I was really podcasting on a regular basis, uh, and I and I had the interaction with fellow podcasters, and now even that has has fallen by the wayside. So I got to thinking, well, what am I really missing? Um, so some of the accounts I follow have blogs. So I was thinking, well, I should probably load up their RSS feeds in my Feedly. Um, but the only one, really, <laughs> the, the biggest one that actually has a blog that I like to keep up with is Evo Terra. Like, well, I could, I could at least, you know, mostly, and again, thinking about accounts that, okay, they post when they have a blog. Well, I don't really need to follow them on Twitter, and Evo does more than that. Maybe that was a bad example, but it was an example of someone I could put in my RSS feed. Or I could put their feed in my reader, right? Some accounts that I follow have podcasts. I could maybe stand to listen to a couple. Uh, because when, when these people, these podcasters have Twitter, they tend to talk about on their podcast what they're talking about on Twitter, right? So some... Am I going to eliminate any redundancy is the, is the point. Um, you know, Evo has podcast pontifications. Um, the recorded version, you know, not the written version. Some of the accounts I follow are actual people. And it turns out when I tweeted that, most of the people that I follow are actual people. They're not like brand accounts. They're not website accounts, right? They're not, this is the Twitter for my blog and all that's on here is my blog or this is the Twitter for our podcast and that's all it is. You know, I follow a great deal of people that are just regular people tweeting about what's going on in their lives. Um, how about the people that are on Twitter that the only post you ever see is their Instagram? Like, well, I'd probably follow them on Instagram instead. Uh, and a lot of them I've been following since I got on Twitter. So... Part of me has FOMO, fear of missing out. I'm going to miss out on the conversation. But when I really look at it, I'm having a one-sided conversation most of the time. Twitter tends to be a broadcast medium rather than a social sharing conversational medium. You, You do see conversations from time to time, and the most conversation that people tend to have on Twitter is when there's an organized Twitter chat. 
the internet chat room thing has been uh, replaced with something worse. And part of me is also loath to abandon the platform for legacy reasons. I've been on there since 2007. I've followed some of these people for, gosh, almost two decades now. You know, it's 17 years. Um, just I've been on there so long, I feel like I, I'm an institution unto myself on Twitter. <laughs> Part of me thinks, well, someday, you know, as I'm writing more books and making YouTube videos and, and everything, you know, it'll, it'll turn into something important. And part of me recognizes that Twitter's days of real engagement ended when legacy media and the brands took over and it became, it just became another advertising mouthpiece. Sometimes it still has the charm of early chat rooms and message boards or like a group of your like-minded friends hanging out, but really, most of the time, it just comes down to navel-gazing, back-scratching, and sound-bite-sniping ridiculousness, and I'm part and parcel of the ridiculousness sometimes. We all get to practice our sarcasm on Twitter today. <laughs> That's pretty much, pretty much it. It has occurred to me that I could save... You know, save every Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram post for podcasts or videos. And with as often as I tweet, with, again, almost 50,000 noobs, <laughs> uh, I could simply post it to a document, a Google Doc, instead of on Twitter, uh, decide what I really want to say and create content around it. And it occurred to me that maybe that's exactly been exactly my problem with the podcast is once I get the thought out in public, I've said it. And I don't need to say it anymore. And uh, with my writing, it, this happens sometimes with people who like to, uh, who make outlines for their fiction, for their books, for their novels. And they've sketched out the outline. They've sketched out the basic treatment of the book. Uh, but then what happens to me sometimes is I've already seen the movie in my head and now I don't want to write it down anymore. Uh, and, and it's like, oh, I've already seen it. And we get bored. You know, it, it, it tends to happen to people from time to time. So I'm still exploring how that relates to my writing process. Anyway, and so what I've got here is I've got a Google Doc in front of me where I just basically copied and pasted all the tweets I made in that little string about why am I still on Twitter. And it was only one, two, three, four, five, six, five or six tweets that I just generated about 30 minutes of. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's my thoughts on uh, Twitter. And I've got other topics like uh, Apple's event that I put one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10 tweets together. And, and I'll talk about those probably next episode. Um, and I've got a whole thing about Patrick Rothfuss. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, I've got a thing about uh, answering the question, when did I become a Star Wars fan? Or why did I be how did I become a Star Wars fan? That's almost like three or four episodes worth probably of content that now it's like, oh, well, I have to wait a week to put out another episode? Like, am I going to do that? Or am I going to binge? Am I going to binge record and just be like, i got to say these things and get them out? Or am I going to make a really long episode? I don't, I don't want to make a really long episode. I don't want to make an hour-long episode. Ain't nobody got time for that. 
Anyway, that's my thoughts about Twitter. And I encourage you to tell me what you think. Tell me if you agree. Tell me if you disagree. And uh, have a discussion. You can email me, podcast at adventuresofindianagym.net. Or tweet me on Twitter at Indiana Gym. Now that's out of the way. News. I have news. So, my I haven't talked about this much, but my novel, First Blade, the first in the Chronicles of the Blade Wielders, or Saga of the Blade Wielders, or the first of three books about guys with swords, um, that is now available in the Hoopla app. So... Your local library probably has an app for ebooks. And my local library uh, goes through Hoopla, and you can get ebooks, audiobooks, music, comics. You can get stuff on there electronically for free. You can check it out for like two or three weeks on the Hoopla app, um, and you can check it out multiple times for free. There's so many things on these apps. And uh, anyway, I was looking at my draft to digital uh, royalties report, which I got to tell you, last month, (laughs) I made 49 cents. (laughs) I mean, I don't want to brag, but (laughs) it's, it's pretty good. So, um, and it said Hoopla. I was like, really? Because I use Hoopla. So I went and I grabbed my Hoopla app and I looked it up. And sure enough, there's First Blade by Jim Perry. I'm like, what? That's cool. So it just all of a sudden I see this pop up. And I'm like, hey, I'm in a library. I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. So um, if you if your local library uses Hoopla, now it may be it may be available in other apps too. I don't know. So if you have a local library uh, that uses a particular app for their electronic lending, check it out, look it up, see if it's in there. And uh, I know Hoopla users uh, can read it for free. And I don't again, you know, I don't know if it's just like people in my local library because I never talked to anybody about it. It just randomly popped up in there. Um, so somebody found it and and put it in there and. And it's there. So I don't know if it's like on Hoopla for everyone who uses Hoopla. Yeah, I don't know how that works. I would assume that, I don't, I don't know even what you call it, but a library, if they didn't have something, would borrow it from another library so that you could check it out. It seems like with electronic media, that would be even easier to do. <laughs> it would be almost automatic. But anyway, First Blade is now available in Hoopla for Hoopla users for free to check out and read. So if you would do that um, if you don't want to pay the, the like five bucks or something for the book, which is fine. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm all about the democratization of media. Now, not piracy, but I'm all about the democratization of media. Of, of you know, if it's available to you for free, take advantage of that. Do it. And, uh, and it will make me happy because it will mean uh, I have fans who, Reading my words came from my brain. Yeah, there's that. And uh, as far as other news, I don't know that there's other news, but I would definitely be encouraged 
that there will be more Adventures of Indiana Jim to come. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had the COVID. And uh, that was fun. That's about 10 days of, of fun. Now, I did not have the coughing. Uh, and I didn't have a fever. And I didn't have any respiratory difficulty whatsoever. Um, it was just like a like a big head cold slash flu uh, without the stomach bug. And it started on uh, a day where I woke up just feeling not myself, feeling dizzy. My body kind of had some body aches, right? So, I, you know, told the school, I was like, I'm not coming. I'm, I have some symptoms here. They're like, okay, it's fine. So the next day, I still had these same symptoms. I was even dizzier. I was, again, body hurting. I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the doctor and, and get it checked out. So I did the flu test and the COVID test. And, of course, the COVID test took a few days to come back. The flu test was negative. Um, and it did come back, and I did have it. So basically what I had was the body aches were incredible. I slept the first three days, like just slept, just slept all the time. You know, the body aches were so bad that when I got a, sh a chill, a cold chill or a shiver, again, I didn't have a fever, but, you know, occasionally get a cold chill, just like normal. Having the goosebumps felt like having needles poke into my body. Not like real hard, but just prickly. It just felt prickly. And then I lost my sense of taste for a, for a bit. And another interesting thing happened is is after, you know, the, the, like the third, the second or, th or third day, I finally got to the point where I could sit up for an hour and then my body would have to lay down. I'd just be sitting in a chair next to the bed and my body would have to lay down. That was, that was interesting. And so when I got to the point where I could sit up for a while, I had my PlayStation and a little TV next to the bed. Um, and I would, you know, play a little PlayStation or whatever. One of the things I found is in my, uh, my, my sickness addled space, headspace I was in, um, playing things like Warzone or like Apex Legends, it really kind of amplified my anxiety. And so even, and so one of the things, of course, you're, you're playing a first person game where you don't get to respawn. You know, it's like you're, this is your life and, and you've got to use it. And, and if you're going to be successful, you have to stay alive. And, and, uh, you know, your senses are on peak vigilance. And when you're in that heightened state, it does things to you. And it's kind of like, you know, playing games with jump scares. You never know where it's going to come from. And some people enjoy that. And I know there's people that, that play a lot of those types of games, and I don't. I don't like jump scares. I, you know, I don't like horror stuff either. I don't like horror genre. So I've noticed that since I recovered from it, I still don't want to play it. It still gets my anxiety up. It's still that heightened sense of vigilance wears on me. So that's been an interesting side effect. But I can play Battlefront 2 just fine. Um, Star Wars Squadrons when I play it. Yeah. Uh, or I just started learning, I just started playing Rogue Company, which I'm really having fun with. And of course, that has some respawn options and some non respawn options, but it's not the same sense of nervousness, I guess, the nervous energy. So that's been an interesting um, side effect of having gone through the COVID. And if I had stayed away from the games, it might be different. I'm not sure. You know, again, I don't know if it's just because my brain is remembering what I felt like when I was sick. And so it's just like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, that could be. Or, I'm, you know, I never really did have all that much fun on Warzone anyway. <laughs> I'm so bad. So bad.
Well, anyway, that's it for that. And I guess I've got more content to come, uh, things that I really want to talk about. I, I, you know, I may just put out extra episodes just because give you bite-sized chunks that you can listen to in your own time and uh, to keep that content flowing. So, you know, maybe more than once a week. We'll see what happens. Uh, but I feel like, you know, a lot of this stuff I really want to say, but I want to get it out in bite-sized chunks for you. So you're not overwhelmed. I feel like podcasting should be short and pithy. And I have done more than short and pithy today. So I will speak to you again very soon. You've been listening to The Adventures of Indiana Jim, a production of Visionary Creative Works. Visit adventuresofindianajim.net and join the adventure.